I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Download Pray.com right now and learn the Bible with James Earl Jones. With God, all things are possible. Carry God's light with you. Download Pray.com right now, the new prayer and sleep app for Christians. After a long day, find a pocket of peace with Pray.com's bedtime stories. Sleep soundly to the Word of the Lord. Download Pray.com right now, the number one app for Christians. Whenever I bring up anything serious, my spouse just wants to argue. Every time we talk, it just seems like we don't know each other anymore. It's been months since we've had any kind of meaningful conversation. Maybe you can relate to those comments, uh, the pain, the distance. The truth is, every married couple faces trouble from time to time. And if you're finding yourself in a dry or a cold season of marriage, there is hope for your future. Today, we're returning to another Best of 2021 episode of Focus on the Family, featuring counselor and author Deborah Faleta. She addressed some common ups and downs in marriage, and this is really helpful content that I know you're going to benefit from. Thanks for joining us. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, we featured a great conversation last time with Deborah, exploring those fun times in marriage, what she calls the spring season. And then you get into summer, where intimacy and connection with your spouse becomes more intense, and we all love that part, that season. But as we'll hear today, there are other seasons that are a little more challenging, fall and winter, where we need to learn about tenacity and commitment and staying faithful to our spouse uh, no matter what. And here's the point. Your marriage reflects the very character of God walking this earth. Think about that. You are a living witness to the world of what it means to love unconditionally, forgiving one another and abiding in God's grace. And so we really can't afford to take our marriages for granted. And if you missed our program last time, uh, get the download or get the CD. Uh, or get our free app and listen to the program that way. Focus is here to help you grow closer together as a couple and closer together with God. And we hope you'll contact us for the great resources we have for your marriage. And that includes a wonderful book that Deborah Faleta wrote called Love in Every Season, Understanding the Four Stages of Every Healthy Relationship. We'll tell you more about that and the resources Jim mentioned at focusonthefamily.ca or call 1-800-THE-LETTER-A-IN-THE-WORD-FAMILY. And now here's part two of our conversation with Deborah Faleta on today's Best Of episode of Focus on the Family. Deborah, welcome back to Focus. It's good to be here. <laughs> I so appreciate our conversation last time. And, and for those that are joining, we always want to kind of give a quick recap. We discussed the spring and summer seasons of marriage. You want to give us that yeah. quick recap for those who haven't joined? And remember, you can download uh, the app for your smartphone or come to the website and get that uh, program. Yeah, every relationship goes through four important stages, four important seasons. And it starts with the season of spring. Spring is when the emotions are high, things are blossoming, attraction is blooming. I it's, smile at that. I love spring and summer. It's a great <laughs> season. It's a season of growth and give and take. And then we move into the season of summer. Summer is the season of intimacy, when things get hot. You know, physical intimacy, spiritual intimacy, emotional intimacy. And then we move into the season of fall, which we're going to talk about today. Well, let's get into it. I mean, you describe fall as that season where all the colors come out and mm. things are known. Fall <laughs> is when your true colors begin to shine through. All of a sudden, the green is gone. 
And there's other colors that you didn't know existed. All of a sudden, <laughs> you see your differences and there's challenges and you face conflict. It, it really is the season of conflict, but also the season of communication because that's how you get through the conflict is by healthy communication. You know, Deborah, as a counselor, and I always want to work this in because um, I can integrate my faith in Christ and helping people uh, in the mental health area. This isn't, if I break my femur, I go to an orthopedic surgeon to get it set and redone. When we have issues with mental health, um, the Christian community, we need to move toward uh, helping repair those things that are causing conflict or causing pain, right? Right. And some of those things are not just what's happening on the surface. Some of those w things are wounds or triggers from our past. Um, I worked with a man once who was, you know, responding very intensely every time his wife asked him to do something. And at the end of the day, when, when we dug deeper in counseling, it's because he grew up in a home where it was my way or the highway. And this conflict with his father, feeling like he wasn't good enough. And any time his wife made him feel that feeling by suggesting yeah. he do something differently, he would react without yeah. really knowing why. That's very good advice right there in your marriage. If something feels a little like your response is so disproportionate to my right. question, that usually is a flag, right? It's a red flag. Let right. me mention conflict. I think you have a quote from Les Parrott who said, conflict is the price we pay for a deeper level of intimacy. You know what's interesting, I think, in human relationship, first with our marriages, is we don't see conflict that way as an opportunity to grow. Conflict is something to avoid, mm -hmm. potentially. Um, I like encouraging people to move toward conflict. I think we do learn a lot. And maybe conflict is too hard a word, but when you can put things on the table, so to speak, get things out of the darkness, yeah. where I think the enemy of our soul operates, he loves when you keep things in the dark because mm -hmm. he can work his mischief and all that. But when you, as a, especially a, a married couple, can bring these things into the light and say, I don't know why I'm reacting this way, but it feels terrible when you say it to me that way. What an awesome moment. Right. Yeah, we shouldn't fear conflict. We should embrace it because it really is the key to deeper intimacy. And and it's not conflict that's the problem. It's how we handle that conflict. I think some people are conflict avoiders because maybe in their past, conflict never brought um, healing. Conflict mm -hmm. never led to a resolution. But that's unhealthy conflict. So instead of avoiding conflict altogether, we have to learn to navigate it in a healthy way. What if you um, describe it this way? A person, you know, again, a, a, let's say a wife, and it can be a husband as well. I, I get that. But let's just say a wife who feels like it, it costs me too much to raise, to get into conflict with my husband. So you're, you have this value proposition constantly. If I say this, then he responds with anger, whatever it might be. How do you move to a place to have the courage to get that out there so it could begin to uh, be dealt with? Well, so many people think that they're good at navigating conflict, but they're actually not, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of the problem. I may problem. be in that category. I don't know. <laughs> it's something that I see even with women or men who say, well, when I tell my spouse something, this is their reaction. But what we have control over is only what we have control over in ourselves. We can't control how they react. So I, I really teach people things like I statements. I'm feeling hurt by this. You know, I need help in this area. I'm struggling rather than you did this and you're, you need to work on that. And even if you say it gently, you need to work on this. 
that's not going to bring about the response that you want. But when you can learn to to say what you need in a respectful way, things begin to change. I like the I statement in that case. It's rare to say we want I statements, but when you're yeah. struggling, an I statement is good. In fact, you, you have five conflict styles. So let's, let's cover those real quick. What are the five conflict styles? Well, it's important to understand your style, your bent when it comes to conflict. So there's the avoiders, the people who would prefer to run from conflict and not deal with it. Yeah. They just want to get away, you know? And then there's and the- just in that regard, I mean, for the person who's trying to self-diagnose here, what's that family of origin look like? What have you faced that makes you an avoider? It could be different things for different people. But, you know, one, one example would be conflict that escalates to the point where it's uncomfortable, emotions are high, people are loud, maybe even someone's getting hurt, um, whether physically or emotionally. When you grow up in that environment, you better believe that your natural instinct is to run, run from for conflict cover. because it's not safe. Right. What's the second one? The second is the accommodators. They would rather take the blame. They're kind of passive. It's like, okay, okay, I'll just deal with it. You know, instead of being healthy, instead of assessing the roles of everyone involved, they're just going to accommodate as quickly as possible so that we can move on. Yeah, and so that that feels like a lose-lose kind of thing. You know, I wanted Mexican, you wanted uh, Italian, so we're settling for hamburgers. Right. Uh, n- ne- neither of us gets what we <laughs> Sounds want. Sounds good enough for me. Not that that's <laughs> right. not that this a real-life thing. I'm asking for a friend. You know, even though people <laughs> praise compromise, I think you're right. In the end, it's actually a lose-lose. You're, you're giving 50%, so you're losing 50% of the time. And I do think when you're stuck in a compromising role all the time, you might not have that much conflict, but you might not have that much satisfaction mm-hmm. either. You might harbor some bitterness. Right. That Probably the style of conflict, that one probably is the one that creates the most bitterness and resentment because you can't even feel like you can surface it because I agreed to compromise. <laughs> or so you stuck. end up keeping score. Right. You know, well, you did this this time and I it's my turn now. And it, it can actually lead to conflict. And that's why I really appreciate the next conflict style, which is the collaborative conflict style. It sounds so nice. It does. <laughs> Let's collaborate. This requires you to be assertive, to be able to say what you need with respect and to look for a solution where everybody feels like they won in the end. So it's not a lose-lose. It's mm-hmm. a win-win. How can we win in our marriage after this conversation? What is the best? for our relationship? What is the best for our family? And you kind of have a team spirit with the collaborative approach. It's not about me or you. It's about what we're doing for the whole, what we're doing for us. That's good. The last one's competitive. Um, I I would hope that a person that has a competitive spirit is not necessarily defined by this. (laughs) I do have a competitive spirit, but I'm not like my way or the highway. Right. And that's what you're kind of uh, saying, right? Well, the competitive approach is really defined by somebody who just wants to win at all costs, whether that comes with aggression, whether that comes with putting the other person down. They just want to win. They feel that their way is always the best. But of course, that leaves a lot of broken hearts in its path and just a lot of unhealthy behaviors come out of that approach. Well, we hope that uh, what we're talking about today with Deborah Faleta on today's episode of Focus on the Family is connecting with you and that you're uh, finding something to take away from this discussion that will help you strengthen your marriage. Certainly, we'll point you to her book, Love in Every Season. 
understanding the four stages of every healthy relationship. And uh, as has been mentioned earlier, we have a great counseling team here. Uh, it'd be our honor to have them do a phone consultation with you. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.ca. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Hi, my name is Jean-Paul Baran, President of Focus on the Family Canada. As we approach the end of 2021, I'm grateful that Focus was able to help thousands of families navigate this challenging year. Looking to 2022, I'm excited for the many opportunities ahead to share the love of Christ and to help families thrive. Will you consider a year-end donation to help us reach even more families? And right now, your gift can be doubled. To donate, visit FocusOnTheFamily.ca. Financial Moments with Tom Copeland. Compared to the rest of the world, we are rich. And in 1 Timothy 6, Paul said, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Why give generously? Paul answers, In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. In other words, giving generously to God's work will yield rewards in heaven and God's blessings here on earth. How significant are God's blessings? In Matthew 19:29, Jesus answers, And everyone who has left houses or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much. In summary, God will reward generous givers both here on earth and in heaven for eternity. To learn more, check out BibleFinance.org. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Deborah, finally, now we've covered last time uh, spring and summer, and we just finished fall, and these are all relevant and so good and such a great context for how to understand your marital relationship. Now we get to the tough one, winter, and you're talking to people from Colorado at the table here. I mean, winter (laughs) here gets really cold. I mean... 20 below zero and right. three feet of snow and 50 mile an hour winds. I mean, if we're using that description, I think those are the marriages that are right at the brink of divorce in that kind of weather description. Yeah. Um, what does the winter season of marriage look like? Well, you're right. When we think of winter, we do think of those intense, cold, frigid temperatures, especially when you're from Colorado, Right. But I also want people to remember that winter doesn't always have to be as intense and obvious. There was a farmer in Australia and a unexpected frost that came a little bit early ended up killing over 90% of his crop. Mm. That reminds me of the frost that we sometimes experience in marriage. Winter is the beginning of that, the cooling down of those emotions. And I call it the frost of apathy. Mm. When you look at your marriage, you might not be fighting every day and having intense explosive arguments, but have you allowed yourself to feel the frost of apathy where you no longer care that much? It's not a big deal. You're not being as intentional. I think that can be just as dangerous as the frigid temperatures that sometimes we feel in winter. And that leads really to the next concept in the book and this idea of boundaries, that it's healthy to have boundaries. You're describing that early frost. I mean, that's a boundary. Uh, In nature, we see that. We see a transition from fall 
to winter. It's that first frost. What do those boundaries look like in marriage that we need to demarcate so that we don't go into danger zones? Yeah. Well, I think when it comes to boundaries, we have to look at the different aspects of the things we need to protect in our marriage. So um, emotional boundaries with the opposite sex, um, but we also need boundaries with our schedule. How many times do we feel so burnt out and stretched so thin? Like maybe we're not even close to having an extramarital affair, but we spend so much time on our phone or so much time on Netflix that we're neglecting the emotional needs of our spouse and our own emotional needs. You know, so these are the things that maybe they're not as intense and scary, but they still cause damage in our marriage if we're not careful. Yeah. And again, I love that frost of apathy. Man, I'm, I'm, can I use that? Because sure. <laughs> it just it just captures it. I'm thinking, you know, I've said a few things about the wife that, you know, is feeling the trust issue. Let me turn to the husbands and use this analogy. I think that frost of apathy is really there for husbands. Because you, as a husband, if you don't feel like you're performing, if you're not doing the role correctly, according to the person you love, your wife, you can pull back emotionally because we're still little boys acting like little boys. I'm not performing for mom and dad. And we just decide rather than to up the performance and meet the need, we just pull back and we shut down and we compartmentalize, which is what men do so well. Okay, done with that box, put it away. And you just live watching news, weather, and sports, eating right. dinner, and going to bed. Right, exactly. And and I think the, the thing we need to remember is that we shouldn't fear winter. Because in nature, winter has very important roles to play. Winter, the cold of winter kills off disease and virus and infection huh. in, in the ground. You know, so that spring can come again. And when I look at the season of winter in a relationship, I see it as a time of identifying the things that we need to change. So if we want to get out of that frost, the first step is to identify the root cause. Where is this coming from? What do we need to work on? What are the problems that might be here for us to start um, discussing and bringing to the surface? And then we've got to discuss the problem. You can't just know it. You then have to discuss it with your partner. Hey, here's what I think is happening in our marriage. And how can we work on this together? How can we get to a better place? And then you come up with a plan. I think many times couples talk and discuss, and then they leave it at that. But we've got to come up with an action plan, just like anything else in your life that you want to change. If you want to lose weight, you come up with a plan or it's not going to happen. And marriage is just the same. If we want to get to spring, we've got to come up with a plan. John, uh, I'm not popping this question on you. Some people might hear this and say, why why would Jim do that? But we've talked about it, and you were willing to share this about you and Dina have gone through kind of a winter experience. Describe that as a practical example of what some couples can go through. Well, let me say first that we've gone through a lot of winter experiences. I mean, there was a time when I was doing graduate school, and I just wasn't around emotionally for her, and there was a distance there. Uh, more recently, in the past few years, after 30 years of, of being parents, half of that with a special needs child, and then some elderly parent issues, we found ourselves just kind of dividing and conquering all the different challenges in life. So we, we just drifted. And um, you were so kind, and Focus was, was gracious enough to allow me to go to Hope Restored. Uh, Dean and I went to Hope Restored, where we learned some of the things that you're talking about, Deborah. And we were able to go back and say, what what is that about? Because we both wanted out of winter, but we didn't have the ability to talk about it without hitting conflict, which never got resolved. 
Um, we had no emotional energy for each other. We, we were exhausted physically. And so that summer was a time of rebuilding and kind of coming out, but we're not there yet. We still have issues, but we at least have what you're talking about, Deborah. We have put it on the table. We've yeah. named it. We've understood kind of our patterns yeah. from before. We've understood the external things that have affected all that. And um, while we weren't headed toward divorce, we certainly are running away from it together in a much stronger way now. And I'm really grateful for that. Well, and I appreciate the vulnerability of that. I really yeah. do, John. It takes courage to say that. And it, what a great example that we have to, um, you know, deal with the stuff. Well, just last night I was telling Dina that we'd be having this conversation. And she said, well, we're, we're coming out of winter. And then she grabbed my arm and kind of leaned into me. And it was sort of like, oh, that's a springtime mm. moment. It was really nice. That's sweet. That's yeah. so sweet. And that's the beauty. And, and you know, you're setting the example, um, reminding people that, you shouldn't stay in winter. You know, I think it's too easy to stay in winter because it requires less work. Uh, let's just stay here. Let's just be content. Let's just live our separate coexist, lives. Let's yeah. just coexist. But the beautiful thing about winter is it's not meant to be stayed in. It's meant to be passed through. And there is hope no matter what your relationship is going through right now, there is hope with God's help that spring can come again. You know, in that context, um, and for all of us when we're looking at that, um, how do we seize an opportunity to smell the smell of spring again when we're living in winter? Uh, what can we do as a couple to maybe be courageous enough to, like John described, uh, Dina pulling him in with his arm? Um, you and John had that experience too. Yeah, we've had many of those experiences. <laughs> you know, I think of even when he was in medical school, I'm working uh, many hours in residency, and I we have newborn babies, and I'm feeling postpartum depression. I mean, we've had seasons where everything just seems to happen at once. How do we bring spring back, though? That's the question. How do we begin to thaw the ground of winter and bring spring again? When I look at 1 Corinthians 13, I see a list of actions, behaviors, not just feelings, things that I'm supposed to do. And when I look at the season of spring, it's the season of planting good seeds. If I want spring to come again, I need to start planting good seeds again. I need to start taking those steps of action, even when I don't have the feelings to follow suit, even when the feelings aren't there to help me. I plant those seeds, those right decisions, those next steps in faith that the Lord is going to allow them to take root and begin sprouting healthy fruit in our life and in our marriage, and that spring can come again. Yeah, and I so appreciate that. That's the whole goal today. That's what we've been talking about today and last time, is how to recognize the season that you're in and how to uh, certainly move to the healthier places in your marriage. There's been so much great content in these two days, and your book, Deborah, is fantastic. Let me uh, ask this question. And, you know, I don't want to be the only one at the table not describing a winter season. I feel like I've skated through it pretty easily. But, uh, you know, Jean and I have had those times. I remember one time she said, I love you, but I don't like you right now. And, you know, of course, my response is, how could you not like me? <laughs> you can already see that as a counselor. I'm like, oh, are you kidding? Um, but, but there are those times, and we've got to seize this. And I, if I could, I just want to make, I don't even want to call it a pitch, but as Christians in this culture right now, 
The work that you do every day, Deborah, is so valid. I, I believe the work that we're doing at Focus in this area of marriage, what Greg and Aaron Smalley are doing, is so valid because we do need to stand out. The culture pulls at us. It tempts us to move into an area of destroying our marriages. And that's why the Christian divorce rate is as high as it is. Yeah. We have bought the lies of this world, and we've got to figure out ways, working with each other, and most importantly, with the Lord, to say, Lord, how can we honor you in a better way? And you know what? Plainly, it's selfishness when we do not. You're right. And we've got to put that aside as mm-hmm. the Christian believers who are to be the example in this world. And don't do it begrudgingly. Don't do it with bitterness. Do it with joy and happiness and desire. Say, I want that relationship with my spouse to be a model for others to look at. And then you got to go spin the web. Yeah. you got to do the work to yeah. lay it out there and create the strength, the tinsel strength in your marriage to withstand the things that you've talked about. What do you think of all that? It's so true. I think sometimes we assume that just because we're Christians, we're going to be good at relationships <laughs> without any training, without any education, without any preparation. And then when the struggle comes, we're almost surprised by it instead of anticipating it and being prepared for it. Winter is going to come. I mean, I'm not surprised when November, December rolls around and it's winter. And I think we have to have that same mentality to be prepared for winter, um, to have the tools that we need, to not be afraid to identify the problem and go to Hope Restored or go to counseling and share what's going on, um, just like we would with any other issue. You know, like you said earlier, when something's broken in the home, We call a plumber. We call an electrician. When something's broken in the marriage, we need to be willing and ready to call, to take that next step and begin the process of getting healing. Mm, uh, That is why Focus on the Family is here, to rescue couples who are in need and provide resources that can get you on a better path, a more godly path for your relationship. And John, I appreciate uh, your vulnerability in sharing about your marriage. Uh, You've seen firsthand how Hope Restored works to rescue hurting marriages. Mm -hmm. And so many couples have benefited from it. Our research shows that over 80%, uh, or four out of five couples, are still together two years later after they have gone through this intensive counseling program. And that is very encouraging. It really is. And uh, we'd be happy to tell you more about Hope Restored and uh, to connect you with someone from our counseling team. Also to share about that wonderful book that our guest, Deborah Faleta has written called Love in Every Season, Understanding the Four Stages of Every Healthy Relationship. Give us a call. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459, or stop by focusonthefamily.ca. And when you order resources directly from Focus on the Family Canada, those proceeds go right back into strengthening marriages across Canada. And let me remind you about the importance of your ongoing partnership with this family outreach. Uh, We anticipate that literally hundreds of thousands of husbands and wives and single adults will contact us during 2022. More than a half a million of those will be looking for resources to build stronger and more satisfying marriages. More than 100,000 couples will seek our help in resolving a major crisis in their marriage. And more than 80,000 singles will be looking for faith-building tools 
tools and advice about getting married someday in the future. Uh, Working together, we can give these people hope, and we're counting on you to provide the fuel, the financial help we need to address these concerns. You can do that through our matching gift opportunity, and there's only a couple of days left for that. Anything you give will be matched dollar for dollar, so please be generous with your support of Focus on the Family now and into the new year. And once again, our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, or you can donate online at focusonthefamily.ca. And coming up next time, a neurosurgeon describes what his dying patients have taught him about living full, godly lives. Your life is not about the number of your days. It's about the quality of your days. It's about what you do with them and how you feel during them. And he was able to show me how to separate circumstance from emotion. And that's, that turns out to be the key for how you find happiness and hope no matter what you're going through. On behalf of Jim Daly and the rest of the team here, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ. 